Ladies and gentlemen, it's 1991, the year of two Robin Hood movies. That's right, we have missed the entire 80s because Robin Hood was sort of the domain of the television screens in the 80s. So we have skipped straight through to 1991 when we got not one but two Robin Hood movies. The first is the one we'll be discussing today, which is Robin Hood. That's it, just Robin Hood. No subtitle. No subtitle. This film came out in May 1991 because there was another Robin Hood film coming out later in the year and they wanted to beat them to the punch. And this was a British-made film starring Patrick Bergen as the man of Sherwood himself, but not, as we will discover, Robin of Loxley. Let us now dive into the world of this alternative 1991 Robin Hood before we get to what is no doubt going to be inevitably the better Robin Hood. But maybe that's, (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'm talking too much. Let me introduce myself. I'm Natalie Bohensky and this is Robin On, a Raven On pop culture subsection thingy looking at a segment of Robin Hood movies from film history. And with me as always is a man who when he realises there is no Sheriff of Nottingham in a Robin Hood movie is absolutely determined to put on the old hat and leather coat and do it himself. It's Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes, very disconcerting, strange movie that <laughs> that the Sheriff of Nottingham and Guy of Gisborne are basically called different character names makes it feel like a weird alternate universe, which is fitting, I think, for a movie. A year which has two almost identical, but crucially very different Robin Hood movies. (laughs) These movies were made in a similar time frame in, you know, 1990 to 91, but they couldn't have known what the other was doing. So they're just taking a lot of, there's overlap because of the source material. But yeah, there's some moments when you're like, oh, wow, that's kind of similar to that. In others, it's like there is no Sheriff of Nottingham. Prince John is there, but only very shallowly. He doesn't play a a huge role like he does in, say, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. But instead you've got these other two villains, as you say, who are kind of this strange bad guy duet. They're like a couple of Bond villains more so than Robin Hood. In in fact, in one case, I think they literally are. I think Jerome uh, Jerome, uh, is literally a a Bond villain. Jerome Crab uh, with a K is uh, from licensed, no, The Living Daylights. Yes. He's the ambassador they sneak out who turns out to be actually a bad guy. He's he's a bit of a lightweight, but he, he does a similar thing in this. Yeah. But I found this such an interesting experience to watch, having seen it or seen at least parts of it back in the day when I was a big, you know, Robin Hood fan as a teenager, I think I watched this. So there were definitely bits I remember, but there were lots of bits that, that I had completely forgotten about. And, yeah, it was really interesting to see it in the light of, you know, all of the pop culture phenomenon we had, uh, we have now, because, wow, this this has got a whole bunch of people who your faces are very familiar. (laughs) Uh, Leaving aside the lovely Uma Thurman, who was only about 20, I think, when she made this film. Yeah, this is easily one of her first movies, right? I believe so. And, uh, yeah, so leaving her aside, I was just watching it going, this is in my point, my minute challenge. And I was watching going, gee, little John looks like a young David Morrissey. And then I went and looked it up and went, <laughs> oh, my God, it really is a young David Morrissey. Uh, David Morrissey, whom you might know from, gosh, 
he was in The Walking Dead as a guy with one eye. But he was doing an American accent in that, which they always get British actors to do. He was in Doctor Who briefly. They thought he might be a future Doctor. What else? He was in State of Play, the TV series. Uh, he's he's done a whole bunch of British stuff. Uh, but he's in this as Little John. <laughs> with a yeah, blonde just randomly and, and looking extremely young and also way taller than I than I remember David Morrissey being. Yes, yes. And and then um, even before that, and this is also on my minute challenge, I'm giving the game away, but uh, looking at the chap who plays Will Scarlet and going, oh, my God, it's Sir Alistair Thorne from Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's Owen Teal. Or more recently, if you if you watch uh, Line of Duty, the great British uh, police procedural, <laughs> he is the head of the um, uh, head of the city police or whatever. They never say the city that they're actually in in that show, but he's like the chief of police, and he's Welsh. Uh, but in this one, he's uh, Will Scarlet. So yeah, just a whole bunch. And even the guy who was playing Much the Miller, like I recognise his face. I don't know what he's uh, actually, no, looking at it now, he has been in um, uh, some Doctor Who as well. So there's just a whole bunch of people that are looking at going, I know that face. I know that face. But yeah, and obviously we'll talk about Patrick Bergen, who takes on the mantle of Robin Hood in this film. Stu, give me, I've just been rambling, but give me your initial thoughts and reactions to this film before we dive into our minute challenge. Well, this is, this is a strange one for me because uh, we had a delay in recording this episode. So... I watched this movie about a month ago um, and it's stuck in my memory. Like, like I can definitely remember it, but it's watching it was such a weird experience because like I said, it was, it's from the exact same time period. So it feels of a, of a time and of a place and of a piece with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And yet it's so very different. It's so fascinating to see See, the direction they took this one. Isn't it funny? I don't feel like it's of a time with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves at all. I feel like it's earlier. I feel like oh it's no, a- it, it feels like a, a movie made in in nineteen ninety one. If that makes sense. Really? I yeah. I mean, I guess so. But in terms of the tone for me, it felt like a kind of a bastard child between the two Disney Robin Hoods that we've watched so far. So the animated mm. and the one from nineteen fifty two. That's what this. It feels like if they had a kind of an edgy baby that was. That would be this film. <laughs> yes. This definitely feels like a successor to that 1950s Robin Hood that we saw. Yes. It, whereas Prince of Thieves, to me, ramps it up into a real action adventure and more like a successor to the Errol Flynn, if that makes sense. Like in a weird way, it's it's more, it's everything is more. Whereas Sure, feels- but, but I, I would actually argue that like that Robin Hood doesn't share any DNA with, with earlier Robin Hood films. It, it has more to do with, American action movies. It's an American action movie version of Robin Hood. Yeah, but true. But we also, talk so about was that. so was the Adventures of Robin Hood in a way. Like it was the early equivalent of an American action movie, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it was it sort of a, it was sort of a western, but set in set in that time. Yeah, but it was filmed in you know L.A. and wasn't it? Didn't we work out it was filmed in L.A.? They didn't film it in England. They filmed the 1952 one in England. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I see what you mean about being feeling like a 1991 film, but. At the same time, the way that it was depicted, certain things were was very seventies. I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's so interesting, uh, and I, I I wouldn't even say that it's a bad film. I, I don't I don't know that it's a good film, but I don't. <laughs> yes, know that that's that's the distinction. It's not bad. It's yeah. not good. It's like... not. It's not good, but it's not. Um, 
like I didn't hate that I was forced to watch it, but then I'm never, I'm probably a biased uh, sample group because I am quite happy to watch Robin Hood films because, you know, I love the general tenet of them. But uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly not one I would go to pick, but if someone said, I've never seen it, what would it be like? I'd be like, okay, yeah, let's watch it. Cause it's really interesting. But should we, <laughs> should we dive into our minute challenge? Let's do it. Do you want me to go first this week? Yeah, let's, 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 let's do yours. I, I think from what we just heard that we're going to have a lot of crossover. So Okay. All right. Well, I mentioned already, oh, my God, it's the guy from Game of Thrones. So <laughs> oh, my God, it's a young David Morrissey. Oh, my God, it's Jürgen or Jerome Crab from License to Kill. And also The Fugitive. Do you remember? Because that came out this same year, 91. Oh, of course. He was the one-armed man. No, he wasn't the one-armed man. He was the head of the – he was the head of the – drug company that employed the one arm. Oh, right. Yes, so yes, yes. The, yes, he was. Yes, absolutely. He was the, the big bad guy at the end giving a speech when Richard Kimball yep. shows up and, you know, calls him out at this big conference going, you killed my wife and whatever. And then they run and then he has a gunfight with him in a, you know, upstairs room or something. What, what does he's he say? You switch, you switch the tests or something. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny how some of these actors can just have this like very productive period and they're like really, because Patrick Bergen, who's also the lead in this, he was in Sleeping with the Enemy with Julia Roberts, yes. like either the year before or this same year. Uh, same year, same year, 91. Yeah, and they're really the two biggest films that he's done. Like, yeah, he had a hell of a year. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't really seen much, but I didn't even realise he was Northern Irish because I was watching him trying to place the accent he was doing because I thought he was American because the only other film I knew him from was Sleeping with the Enemy, which, of course, is Julia right. Roberts, which I thought, well, he must have been an American. But I was trying to work out what accent he's doing because it's like, well, it's it's certainly less American than Kevin Costner, but it's not <laughs> um, it's not a full-on American. It's like it seems slightly English but flavoured with something. And I was like, it kind of sounds Northern Irish. And then I looked him up and went, oh, he's raised in Belfast. So there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, so Patrick Bergen, this crab guy, you know, th- this was like their fallow, no, not fallow, opposite of fallow, their rich harvest. Fertile period. Fertile, thank you, fertile periods. And then they haven't really done as much since. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, But yeah, so that was surprises. I wrote Patrick Bergen. This is how I described him. He's like a poor man's Kevin Klein (laughs) or a rich man's John Slattery. (laughs) (laughs) You know John Slattery from? Yes. He's in Mad Men. Uh, Yes, yes, absolutely. That that silver fox guy who turns up in things. I know him best um, if you're a Sex and the City fan like me. You might remember him as Carrie's boyfriend who was the politician for a couple of episodes and um, (laughs) they broke up because he wanted to pee on her. As like a, yes. as a sexy game, and uh, and she was like, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And then he broke up with her anyway because it wasn't good for his career as a politician to be seen dating a, a sex columnist. So yes, yeah, so that's that's what I first saw him as. So he'll always be that guy to me. But I understand he's very good in Mad Men. But yeah, he's like if you look at his face, Patrick Bergen's, he's very um, he's got very um, fine like very defined, fine features. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. has this sort of glint in his eye like a Kevin Klein, And, yeah, so that's sort of where I placed him in the actor's merging of actors. Sure. I honestly, I honestly think you're probably doing John Slattery a, um, a disservice there, but but I understand what you mean. No, no, no. It's a, a rich man. So a, a poor man's Kevin Klein. So when you can't afford a pet Kevin Klein, um, but when if you're a rich man and you want – you want to jump? Oh no, maybe I am. Uh, I, th- I think you're doing. I think I you're doing it. John Slattery dirty there. <laughs> I mentioned as well. Maybe it's the other way around then. A poor man's John Slattery, or a rich man's Kevin Klein, <laughs> or a, a, a less poor man's Kevin Klein. Okay. Well, I was trying to. It doesn't really work that way, does it? The phrase. It's always a poor man's something. You never get a rich man's something. 
I'd like to be a, a rich man something. What would I be? I'd be a rich man's version. <laughs> anyway, we'll work that out. If you think I'm a rich man something, tell me what you think that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I wrote uh, Uma Thurman is a very spunky Marion. Um, they very much have her as a I'm not going to be a some dumb bride to be married off. I'm going to go out and be a massive hoe. (laughs) (laughs) I do love the fact that the big thing in this for for Marion and uh, she's engaged to Miles Falconet, who we'll we'll talk about, who's kind of the guy of Gisborne surrogate, and she runs away. So I I haven't really talked about the plot of this film, which I probably should have done. We'll get to it. You you can finish your list. Okay, we'll get to it. So she runs away from her betrothed because she doesn't really like him and she decides she's going to go and join the Merry Men. So she cuts hmm. her hair off, dyes it black, disguises herself as a boy, and in a fun Shakespearean twist, uh, runs and joins the the Merry Men. And she ends up having a literal role in the hay with Robin Hood. And then she gets captured and uh, taken back in by a traitor. She's sort of betrayed and taken back in for a reward. And she says, "You." he says, well, we're going to get married now. And she says, there's no point because what you want has been given to another man. <laughs> and everyone looks very angry. And uh, um, Baron de Guerre, who's Jürgen Crab. Jürgen Crab? I don't think his name is Jürgen Crab, but you know who I'm talking about. Yes. And he kind of just puts his fingers to his head and closes his eye. I'm like, oh, no, she went and had sex with him. <laughs> and she's like, yep, I am a hoe and I'm proud of it. And it's just this brilliant where she's like, ah, I'm not a virgin anymore. Suck it, suck it, suck it, suck it. <laughs> it's really quite fun. I enjoy that. Um, can, can I just say, though, I do think it's her, her animosity towards Falconet is unearned, I think, in, in, yeah, in yeah. the movie. Like she seems to despise him for yeah. no good reason that I can see. Like, because he's a bad guy, but he's never bad to her, if no, that makes no. sense. Normally like, he's they always... throw in, yeah, normally they throw in a bit of a sleazy, like... Yeah, yeah. like, he's, he's a bit of a shit, but no, he's actually super nice and, and respectful towards her and just wants her to be happy. He's and she's like, screw you, man. He's cranky at her at the end when she comes back and he's like, you will marry me tomorrow and you will say I will and you'll be willing to do it. And she's like, nah. And he's like, <laughs> but he never, like, I was expecting to them to have him hit her or something like that to really go, yeah, you're the bad guy. But he doesn't even do that. Like, he's still kind of this chivalrous knight. Yes, exactly. And, yeah, and it's, it's bizarre. It's is, a weird choice. His whole thing is wanting to kill Robin Hood because Robin Hood is being disrespectful to the official powers that be which is kind of what his point is as a knight to do. Yeah, exactly. And and it's this weird thing, and, and I'll, I'll talk about it when we get to our list, but but the, the, the villains in this are really strange. They are, yeah. And, and that's another thing that I, I have uh, on my list, which is sort of there's not a lot of stakes in the movie. It, yeah. It, it doesn't really feel like it has a life or death situation happening. No, even, even, though, even though people are trying to kill each other. Yes. Like it definitely feels like the whole thing's on rails. It, yes, it doesn't. You never really feel like, oh my god, Marion is going to be because, and and again, it's going to suffer in comparisons to Prince of Thieves. And I am biased towards Prince of Thieves, and I get that. But Prince of Thieves, you have everything where everything sort of feels lost. You know, you you have their their camp is invaded, their numbers are cut down, their their village, their Sherwood village is found and destroyed. You have a whole bunch of them arrested, about to be hanged. Marion is kidnapped. Uh, she's forced to marry the sheriff at knife point. At you know, and it's 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 all very brutal. And there's a sense of urgency, and there's a sense of quickly we need to stop this. And whereas this film is like the big finale, 
is getting into the castle by everyone dressing up as clowns and they can't say no to clowns because it's all Fool's Day, which I assume is April Fool's Day. I assume that's a thing. And the tradition is if you're a a clown or if you're a fool, you can't be denied entry for all Fool's Day because it's bad luck. So even though they've given the order, do not open the castle gates to anyone, well, it's some fools, so we better let in the fools. And so they get in and then they start wrecking the joint. And it's like... (laughs) Okay, all right. There's no, you know, whereas in Prince of Thieves, they have to infiltrate. They have to have a plan. They have, you know, this is just, they won't turn us out. Why? Because. (laughs) (laughs) It it felt very uh, uh, pitch me. You don't think that they wouldn't just decide on this day to not let anyone in because, you know, even the fools? No, because the movie has to happen. The movie has to happen. And 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 at the end, Robin Hood is not even amongst the, the fools who break into the castle. He's already in the castle waiting to sort of spy on the wedding, the planned wedding of Marion to this Falconet dude. And he's just hiding in the background. Like, mm. it's never shown how he got into the castle. It's just nope. Baron de Gare goes, he's here already. I can sense it. And then it cuts to Robin already in the castle. And it's like, okay, he just got in. Which, fine, he's Robin Hood. He can do these sort of mysterious things and walk through walls. But Kevin Costner, as we will see next time, has to disguise himself as an old blind man and rub literal animal feces onto himself (laughs) so that the guards don't look at him because he stinks. Like, he has to make a sacrifice, whereas Patrick Bergen just goes in looking all fine and dandy with his moustache and, you know, imperfect uh, twirled and waxed you know position and he's in his sunday best and he gets to come out and have a little fight it doesn't feel urgent as urgent the stakes don't feel very high and particularly when the ending is just (laughs) i mean i shouldn't criticize because it's probably a very positive message they were trying to say say which is the whole plot of the movie is basically the Saxons who Robert Hood, because he's not Robin Hood, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but he's not Robin Hood, he's Robert Hood, and he just becomes Robin Hood because it's easier to say than Robert Hood. But he's a Saxon lord who's cast out for being cheeky uh, by the Normans in power. So it becomes a Saxon v. Norman thing, which is a bit of what the Errol Flynn movie had about it. But it, it's a bit more detailed here about the, the Saxons who are just, you know, trying to live their lives and being oppressed by the uh, by the Norman invaders. And so it's Will Scarlet who battles Baron de Guerre, who's sort of the sh- um, Sheriff of Nottingham-esque figure without actually being like that at all. And he just says, then give me back my country at the yes. end of their fight at the end. And the Baron goes, okay, I'll drop my sword then. And um, at the end of the so film, strange. He, he pledges allegiance to Robin Hood, saying you have a, a longer tie to the country than I do. And it's Absolute like, insanity. Insanity, because like nice, like it's a very fairy tale ending, but it's just that. It's a fairy tale. Like you don't think and this is what I mean by Prince John is not really effective at all, because he comes up, demands his taxes, leaves, and you just don't see him again. Like you can't tell me he wouldn't come back and go, I'm sorry, you what? Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. Like at that point, Daguerre is in open rebellion to the crown. Yeah, and it, what is interesting about this film is that they just discount Richard completely yeah they just say that he is not coming home but you never see him as a character at all you don't know which is actually i mean in many ways more accurate than than what was the reality what what we often see in in these movies yes and so 
in Prince of Thieves, you know, they have the they don't have Prince John at all. You just have Richard away. You don't have Prince John in it at all. You just have him away. He's not there. He's not watching his country. And that's why people like Nottingham can get power. But they concentrate everything into Nottingham as the villain. And then they just bring Richard back at the end to go, hey, I'm back. And it's all right. Woohoo. Whereas this film brings in Prince John, but just makes him kind of pointless because all he's there to do is go, no, I'm the king now. Don't think that my brother will, you know, be okay with what you're doing. So yeah, yeah he's say, kinda, he's he's there to turn the screws on Falconet, and well, on on Daguerre more so. Than yes, Falcone. yes, on, on Daguerre. Sorry, yeah, yeah. He, he's there to to turn the screws and make sure that the the third act happens, basically. Exactly. So yeah, further to my list, I've got that. I've got Saxon v Norman, but no Sheriff of Nottingham, <laughs> and this very strange um, plot of the Saxons just wanting to live in peace. But even the whole steal from the rich, give to the poor, is less kind of delved into for, for a lot of it they seem to just be stealing for themselves and they talk about hey maybe we should give some of this away but it takes them a while to actually do it yeah it, it takes them until like some villages are burnt and stuff when they go yeah, actually yeah let's do it let's do it guys let's have a meeting and let's do it you know it's very it's an interesting less urgent less thrilling maybe it's more realistic to what would actually well, I, happen in real life but again, i feel like that's like, like that's what they were going for i feel like yeah. that the whole the whole thing is tinged with no this is how it really would have happened and yeah. it's like yeah and it turns out it's kind of boring yeah <laughs> or at least it doesn't feel satisfying yeah because you know we are storytelling apes so we need a little bit more a little bit more thrust a little bit more cut and thrust you know <laughs> in literally and metaphorically what else have I uh, written? Oh, um, so Robin Hood just kind of becomes the leader in Sherwood Forest, but it's never, it, it just sort of become. it just sort of is. There's no defining moment where he comes into, you know, in the Errol Flynn one and in the 1952 one and in the Robin Hood Disney one, he's already the leader. Yeah. But in, in this film and in Prince of Thieves, he kind of comes into an existing band of outlaws. And which is interesting, isn't it? That they both have that similar structure. Yes. But I would argue once again, and I know I'm biased. I have to tinge everything in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He comes in and he's very arrogant and he says, I'm going to lead you and we're going to build up an army and we're going to do this and take back what's ours. And the outlaws are like, you what? Get stuffed, mate. We're quite happy. We don't want any more. You know, we live here. We live in secret. We steal what we can, we keep out of harm's way and we just live our lives and we're okay. And Robin Hood is like, no, it's not right. We have to keep going. Whereas in this one, Robin Hood and Will Scarlet, so Alice Thorne, uh, they <laughs> they are cast out for like the dodgiest reason. They're, they're cast yeah. out because Robin is a dickhead who can't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> right? He's, he's, he's friends with Baron de Guerre to begin with. They're like buddies. They play chess together or gambling or dice or something. And he, Baron de Guerre has told Robin of his family shame, which is that his grandfather was a pirate, like a literal pirate. Mm. And now he's a baron, but it's a source of shame to his family. And Robin's like, no, don't worry, I'll never tell anyone. And then he immediately tells everyone. He immediately tells everyone. <laughs> but he already knows. And and it's because Miles, uh, maybe this is a good time to just insert the plot here. So it starts because Much the Miller has stolen a deer and he's been hunted down by Sir Miles Falconet and a whole bunch of other, you know, proper Norman knights. And they're going to hunt him down and kill him. And Robin intervenes and says, no, no, this is my land. I'm the Saxon Lord. I don't want him touched. 
And Miles Falconet says, well, I'm going to make sure the king hears, of, well, not the king, but Baron de Guerre hears of this. And Robin says, sure, I'll come to the castle on Monday. Before he does go to the castle for his punishment, quote unquote punishment, he has a game with Baron de Guerre. And Baron's like, no, it'll be fine. I'll let you off. It'll be all good. But then because Miles Falconet is really upset, he says, no, I demand he be lashed. And so Baron de Guerre says, yes, okay, fine, but one lash only. Robin doesn't take this as a like, okay, well, fine, maybe I'll just take the one lash and we'll keep the peace. He goes, no, screw you, my honour. Your granddad was a pirate. Ha, ha, ha. Cue massive fight. Cue Will Scarlet getting involved. Cue them being told they're outside the law and uh, they bugger off. They immediately meet John, little John, and have the famous log fight, stick fight on a log, log fight, stick fight on a log. And then they go back to the hideout for all of these Sherwood outlaws and Robin proves that he's a good shot and can stay with the group. And then immediately he's like, hey, let's go do this. And he's just the leader. There's no, yeah. there's sort of no moment of standing and saying, this is what we're going to do now. I'm, we're changing the game. It's just, hey, I've got an idea of who you can steal from. Let's go steal from these people and these people. So there's no sense. They just kind of become outlaws because they already were outlaws. There's, there's no like feeling of escalation or yeah he just takes an existing bunch of organized bandits yes and says i'm your leader now and they all decide yep that's fine except for one guy who will become for plot reasons betray him yes there needs to be one guy who will betray you but he never really says i'm your leader now this is what i mean in in prince of thieves robin hood stands on a log it's a lot of log standing in these movies (laughs) and i i'm for i'm here for it i need to have a log that i can stand on to orate i feel like we all need an orating log And Kevin Costner stands on a great big log in his beautiful, beautiful studded leather outfit and talks about, oh God, I've forgotten the speech. I used to know it off by heart, but he he, he (laughs) talks about how they, they burn our houses and they take what we want. He's like, but we don't have anything to eat. And he's like, what do we need that the forest cannot provide? We have wood for houses and weapons and we have leaves for shelter and we have dirt to something. Um, And he says, but what about they, they've taken, they've taken all our money from us. And he turns around and he says, and by God, we take it back. Cue montage. Cue montage. All right. There's no montage here. There's no I was about to say that this movie is montage free. It's totally montage free. And I love a montage. Um, I like to know that some circumstance, people have grown, people have changed, people are developing, people have gotten good. You know, you see people develop. In this one, you just see them shooting some arrows at one point. And then they shoot slightly longer arrows when they stop the guy who has longbows. And they're like, yes. Ah. There's, we a, have there's a whole subplot with a, an Irish guy who, or a Welsh guy who has Welsh longbows. Guy. Yeah, Welsh guy who doesn't like being called Taffy and so gives Robin Hood all of his longbows instead. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? There's like there's sort of the same beats that get hit as Prince of Thieves in some ways, but they there really is, and it they get lightly tapped. They don't get you know you don't you're like oh right okay so now he's with now he's in the forest now there's the merry men now that you know there's no moments of transformation it's just oh now this happened absolutely but but that's what i find so fascinating about it because and, and that's why i said that like it feels of a piece with robin hood prince of thieves because they are hitting all these same sort of beats but they're just coming at it from slightly different angles you know what i mean like the fact that um, they're both going for a more quote unquote realistic take on, on the material. The fact that like, you know, Robin becomes the leader of this band of outlaws that already exist a whole bunch of things. There, there's mirrors between the two movies, but the end result is so different. It's mm. so fascinating. So to finish off my list, 
Oh, I wrote there's a really fun dye scene that stuck out in my memory where they're all being chased and they're all covered in different types of dye. Like oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just a fun scene that stuck out. That was something that's quite unique, like a fight in a dye. Because that's one of the things about the Middle Ages that I've read is that we all think about them being, you know, covered in crap and dressed in brown and <laughs> grey and covered in feces. But actually they would have used a lot of natural dyes and they would have had quite colourful clothes. Yeah, everyone wore, like, clothes that would look, like, extremely, like, garish to us. Yes, yes. So like the... Errol Flynn, Robin Hood. You know, that's what it was. That was that was a true to life. Yeah. Everyone was in tights, bright green, bright yellow, bright red. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know how bright because of the dye processes they had. They're probably not as advanced as, as um, we have now. But, yes, certainly the Lincoln greens, you know, would have, would have been quite vibrant. And I'd never seen something like that in a Robin Hood film, but a fight in a dye, you know, dye shop. There's a tanner? Is that called a tanner? No, that's with leather, isn't it? Anyway, you know what I mean. And then, which I just sort of touched on, but just the last thing on my list was it just ends with, uh, as I said, the Baron going to, to Will Scarlet. Okay, cool, I'll stop fighting. Robin kills the, the Miles Falconet dude because he obviously had to die. And then they just say, okay, yep, it's yours now, Robin. You're back to, I'll, I'll kneel to you. He and Marion get married. And then everyone kind of looks at the sky and goes, Ooh, it's yeah. this really weird ending. Everyone kind of looks up at the sky and there's a little bit of sunlight coming through the treetops and then it cuts back to them kissing. And and when they started kissing, Marion just had her hair out. She'd taken off her headpiece because she's in a you know a white head headpiece for yeah. much of it. So she's taken that off. They go get married. Oh, she says, that's right. He says, let's, let's celebrate by having our newfound peace by having a, a, a wedding between Saxon and Norman. Um, if if Marion agrees and she says, I will not marry this man to, you know, create a peace treaty, but I will marry him because he, I, I wrote it down somewhere, he makes the bees buzz in my breast. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought sure. was very timely because if you've watched season two of Bridgerton, which I have not, but I've watched enough YouTube clips to know uh, that there's a very famous scene where um, a woman gets stung in the boob by a bee. Uh, so I just thought it was quite timely. Um, <laughs> so they get married. She, they, they kiss. Father Tuck recites a poem, holds up a wreath of leaves for them to kiss through. When it cuts to them all going, ooh, like they're in a trance or something, cuts back to them still kissing, and all of a sudden Uma Thurman's wearing a flower crown and a daisy tucked behind her ear. Yeah. Like and I feel like that- there's callbacks there to that whole connection to like to like May maypoles and things like Yeah, like- yeah. For April, spring, May because yeah. she refers to him as being the maypole of something or she makes the major Anyway, maypole maybe that was a penis reference. I don't know, but it's a yeah, that fertility new life kind of thing. But it's like But but, was- but that's never been referenced previously in the movie. No. But- Do you know what I mean? They haven't they haven't mentioned it once and then right at the end they're like Oh, and now like sunshine returns to Britain. Yeah, and and you know, was that a reference to? Was that a continuity error that she wasn't in a headpiece and then all of a sudden she was? Was it just? No, I think it's. I think it's deliberate. Like, I, I think it's meant to like be a symbolic thing, but it's. Yeah. It just plays as bizarre. It, it looks like a continuity error. Is my point. Uh, so yeah, it was really interesting how it just kind of it just kind of ends, and the music doesn't stir up. Um, no. Yeah. Because Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves also ends with the wedding of Marion and, and 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 Robin. I was about to say Marion and Kevin. It's not Kevin Costner. It's his character that <laughs> plays. 
Uh, and Richard comes in and is like, I must give the bride away. And then Friar Tuck says, oh, you may kiss the bride. And then they're kissing and everyone goes, yay. And it goes, da, 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 da. And you're like, yay, that's the end of the movie. With this that is- music. Yes. Which, and this is just like, la, end. It's strange. It's so it's low key. Very bizarre. Very it's- bizarre. It's that's why I think it reminds me of that 1952 one because it was also sort of low key and the Disney one where it's just the animals going well the sh- well King Richard came back and made everything okay <laughs> the and end the end happily ever nothing after. was bad ever again and it just to me I was just like well surely there would have been a sequel taking place the next day when Prince John rides back into town going I'm sorry what just happened <laughs> <laughs> what's really interesting is. Ultimately, the Normans and the Saxons did learn to live together because they started intermingling. Sure. Because the Normans needed um, sax. One of the reasons why Melvin Bragg talks about this, but one of the the key reasons why they started to merge is because the Normans hired Saxon women to raise their children as wet nurses and day nurses. Mm. And so Norman children learned Saxon, and that's how English became this mix of French and old old English started to fuse together because you had them, you know, and and it wasn't from the sense of, oh, we're going to live in peace and harmony. It was just the way that society happens when you get people mingling, which inevitably they do. And then all of a sudden Saxon Norman goes away and you're left with an identity of, of English. Yes, exactly. And also because like the, the Normans that came across were a, a ruling overclass that they weren't like the, the majority. Yes, yes. So they, they eventually just were subsumed into the general Englishness of it all. That's right. And so you had, yeah, they were the nobility, but there's only going to be so many of them. And eventually everyone learns to go, you know. And and it, and, and because this is set 100 years after the conquest and Edward actually refers to the anarchy, we can't have the Saxons getting ground because we'll return to the anarchy of before. The anarchy refers to... I'm not sure how much you want me to go into the details of this history, but the anarchy refers to the fight between the heirs of William the Conqueror, the grandchildren of William the Conqueror, Mm. um, Matilda and Stephen of Blois, 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 B-L-O-I-S, Stephen of Blois, because uh, there was William the Conqueror's granddaughter and grandson, step-grandson, no, grandson through another... Through his daughter, I think. Point is, the anarchy refers to this very specific... Go watch Pillars of the Earth. It's all about that. <laughs> Go watch Ian McShane, Al Swearingen from Deadwood. Go watch him in Pillars of the Earth. Uh, it's all about the anarchy. And uh, it's it's and that is a fight between the Norman ruling class. It's not a fight between the Normans and the Saxons. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Saxons would have been drafted in to be in armies, but it's a fight over who holds the power. So it's a, it's a it's a weird twisting of history to go, oh, well, if we have the Saxons rise up, it'll be like the anarchy of before. But the anarchy was not that. I'm reading too much into it and I do. <laughs> I'm slightly nerding out here. But my point remains, it's a very strange, it's kind of like, and they lived happily ever after. And it's like, sure. And he said, he does say, though, it's like, we'll, we'll, we could rule Europe. We can build this country into something greater. And I thought that was quite interesting because it's like, yeah, yeah ultimately England does become an empire. So... Uh, that was and has a very complicated relationship with Europe. Yeah, yeah, it does. Although England's never conquered. I mean, apart from bits of France here and there, uh, England's never ruled anywhere in Europe. I mean, apart from, I guess, if you count like the Channel Islands or whatever, Jersey and whatever. Um, 
but yeah, they fight them all the time. That was that was yeah. very much a, a constant <laughs> in the 15, 16, 17, 18, and 1900 uh, <laughs> um, Anyway, um, that's probably my list, and I've been raving on for too much. So, Stu, over to you. What are your recollections of this strange film? <laughs> well, the first item on my list is Robin is a jerk, just a straight-up jerk in this movie. <laughs> I I saw him as being kind of he's he can be a jerk, but he's also this sort of weirdly playful. It's it's almost like he's going for cheeky. Yeah, well, give me some examples of why you mean jerk or how, why. Well, I just I mean there was all that stuff at the start. Which we which we saw. Oh yes. yes. Um, but then, like, basically, any time he's interacting with another character, he's being a complete dick to them, <laughs> and not in a not in a like a fun, playful, like Errol Flynn sort of way. Just in a you know deeply off putting sort of way, where you're like, why does anyone like this guy? Why is Will hanging around him? It's just very strange. I did notice that Will, um, speaking of Errol Flynn, Will does laugh in this film like Errol Flynn laughs, yeah. the, like the the teeth. The open teeth laugh, the throw back the head, ha, 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 where you don't close your mouth while you're laughing, you just, ha, ha, ha. That was very much Will's bag. But, I, yeah, I guess he's a, a bit of a dick. But yeah, I mean, I I found him endearing in places. I, I did like the fact that he was super dumb when it came to Maid Marian. Oh, yeah, and, like, yeah, <laughs> like, like literally could not understand who this boy was. <laughs> And why why he would be talking to him yes. about about Marion, you know? And because uh, I, I thought so, there's a there's a part in the film where Robin says, "I'm off," and Will and uh, Much and everyone goes, "Where are you going?" And he's like, "I've got an appointment." I'm like, you can't leave the camp. Yeah. Dumb, like, yeah. dumb as a dumb as a post. My God, <laughs> it's like he's like, "I've got an appointment." What are you talking about, Robin? You idiot. He's like, no, I've got an appointment. So you can't go alone. He's like, "All right, I'll take Young Martin, the 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 news as my squire." And so here am I thinking, okay, well, this is he's he's pinged that Martin is Marion, and this is going to be the big romantic moment nope. where he, you know, says, um, "I knew it was you," and I'm going to kiss you now. Or, you know, he kisses her first, and then goes, "I knew it was you," or something like that. No, no, no. He's telling her the story. Even when he's telling the story, he takes her to some abandoned cottage somewhere, and she's like, "What are we doing here?" And he's like, "Let me tell you a story." This, as far as he's concerned, this teenage boy, yes, <laughs> uh, tells the story about. Let me tell you a story about how. There was a man who went into the castle and met the most beautiful woman in the world and he fell in love with her. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is him doing that whole I'm telling you a story, but actually the story's about you and I know, but I'm trying not to let on that I know, that whole trope. And uh, and, and, and Uma Thurman's getting super into the story. And it's like, do you think that she wanted to marry this other man? And she's like, no, she didn't want to marry the other man. I was like, why would you say that if you didn't think it was about he was talking about you. Anyway, and then he goes, and then he says, and and so then the woman got word to him to say that she she wanted to meet him. And so then you see through the trees like this female figure in a red cloak and uh, says now she comes and you're like, hang on a second. He hasn't made that. He literally thinks that Marion has sent word to yep. him to meet him at this old abandoned cottage and, and he's gone, yep, I'm going to go out and meet her. So, I mean, talk about thinking with your pants only. Ro- Robin Hood is supposed to be like crafty and wily and sly. Yes. Fox, and, fox, fox. Yeah, he's a fox. He's a fox. <laughs> and Patrick Bergen's Robin Hood is a big old dipshit. <laughs> he just thinks, oh, yeah, Marion's gotten loose and will come and meet me in a very deserted spot and I will go alone. And so it's Uma Thurman as in disguise to go, no, you idiot, this is a trap. Quickly, yeah. quickly come with me. And then eventually, and he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And and they fall into a, oh, which is another 
continuity error because he falls, they, they jump into a stream to get away from them, even though when he fought Little John and fell into a stream and then Will is yelling out, he can't swim, he can't swim, and Robin's yelling, help, 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 get me out of the stream. <laughs> but apparently he learned to swim by the time he and Marion fell in. Uh, yes, yeah. And they get out and he's like, what are you doing, Martin? What's all this about? And she goes, oh, you're really, uh, you're really, you look really good when you're angry or something like that. And then kisses him. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, Marion, <laughs> you dipshit. You absolute dipshit. You would have gotten yourself killed straight away, walked straight uh, into a trap. Yeah, so he's he's a bit dumb, just a bit dumb. And then there's that the the guy in the, the camp who's the, you know, the one guy when, when they say, okay, we've decided we're all going to give our money to the poor. And the one guy called Harry is like, you're all crazy. Don't do that. And he's the one all along who's been saying, don't give our money away. It's our money. And then all of a sudden he goes, all right, fine. You don't think he'd keep an eye on him? You yeah. don't think he'd yeah. leave It's like, well, we want him over. Yeah. <laughs> He's agreed, so he must be a good man. Let's not keep an eye on him at all. So he can knock Marion out and take her back to the castle for a reward. So, yes. He, he's a he's a bit of a dickhead. <laughs> Back to your list. Sorry. Uh, the next time on my list is uh, hey, it's bad night watch guy because yeah, it's Owen it's Owen Teal uh, who was uh, so yes. Alistair Thorne. Yes. Um, playing a playing a very fun character. I like I like him a lot in this. Yeah, I think he's very good in this movie. Mm. Yeah, you wonder why he didn't sort of carry on from this and get more famous. You know. I guess um, he just and then, became a character actor. Speaking of people who became more famous, the next item on my list is holy shit! It's David Morrissey. Yes. Um, so he's in this because I was looking like you. I was looking at him, going, "Who is that?" Like he just looks so familiar, but it's so different to what he normally looks like. Well, just I with thought, all the shaggy hair and then like the weird cloak and stuff. I thought it was David Morrissey, but I went, "Oh no, it's too. This is too old for David Morrissey." Um, but yeah, it's David Morrissey. He would have been like 25 or something when he did Yeah, like, like, and he looks young. He looks, he yeah. looks like, yeah. The next time on my list is uh, Uma Thurman is good in this. Uh, she I is, think she, yeah. she, does a, she does a great job. You can see why she, of all the cast, sort of went on to, to bigger and better things. Mm. Yeah, definitely. She's spunky, still in the constraints of the time, but it's a nice, you know, Marion running away, disguising herself as a boy to join the thing. That's not yeah. been done before. So it's a fun twist on the Marion, you know, thing. Yeah. Although I do think, I mean, right at the end where she pipes up about, I will not marry him to, to forge a treaty, blah, blah, blah. Um, you, you just feel like being like, Marion, you're getting exactly what you want. Please be quiet now. Yeah. <laughs> like, You've been bitching this whole time. You really need to make time. a speech right now. Yeah. <laughs> you've been bitching the whole time that you've been here. So... <laughs> But otherwise, why, she wouldn't have said the thing about the bees and her boobs. Well, that's true. <laughs> the bees and her boobs. It makes the bees buzz in my breast. Like, I, lit- I literally wrote it down, Stu, because it made me laugh so much. It did It did sort of clank. Like, like, they were really reaching for some, like, fertility imagery right at the end there for their, their bizarre little vignette. Yeah, it feels like they left that in going, oh, we'll come up with something that's a bit better than that, not quite as naff, and then nobody remembered to change it. So. Yeah. The next item on my list is uh, the new villains. Like we, we get bizarre, like off-brand Sheriff of Nottingham and Guy of Gisborne. The the weird wrinkle that he and, and Robin are like good friends, it seems. Yeah, they're buddies. They're card buddies. Except and- Robin Robin is then immediately like, screw you, man. <laughs> like just instantly. Whereas, whereas um, De Gea is like, even after Robin is awful to him and he kicks him out, he's still like covering for him a little bit. You know, like he's he's the kind whole, of, and then at the end he kind of t- he he flips back. He's like, yeah, sure. 
we're all good. Yeah, he's like the, you know, he's been put in this position of power. He kind of doesn't really want to be, he sort of just wants to hang out and shag his mistress all day. <laughs> yeah, okay, you deal with all this stuff. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and then uh, right at the end, I was just like, you know, give me back my country. I was just <laughs> like, that is a weird thing to say. It's so weird. So strange. It's just one part of England. He can't give back the whole thing. It's, yeah. It's real strange. It makes, they're on stronger ground when they talk about let's live together in peace and just make it work. And it's like, no, 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 give me back my country. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a interesting. But it, it, it's it weirdly nationalistic in a way that makes me vaguely uncomfortable. But it's also, I mean, it, it's also, it, it's what conquests everywhere do. It's what countries that have gone into other oh, places. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And I mean, like, you know, we, we, we know all about, like, you know, the, the, the history of the time. But, I mean, this was a movie that was made in 1991 for an audience in 1991. And it just feels weirdly nationalistic in a way. Like, that, I was like, what are they getting at here? But like, what's their, what's their point? What is this meant to be a metaphor for? Yeah, but for, like, is it trying to be nationalistic to in praise of other parts of the UK? Like, because... You're talking about it's England. It's still England. They still have it. You're all English now. You're, you know. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, like the, the you know foreign people coming over here and taking over and all this sort of thing. Like, oh, I don't that. Know. Oh, okay. That right. All right. I I guess I was seeing it from the other way around, which is. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I, maybe I'm being very ungenerous towards the movie, but it, there's just this weird little feeling of that, and I'm like, what was what? What are you getting at with that? Like, what, what's what's going on there? Oh, see, I saw it more as a cry of, like, the people that England had colonised. So, like, say, Australians, like Indigenous Australians going, give us back our country. Oh, I definitely definitely didn't read it that way. (laughs) Like, a moment of going, no, you are an invading force, give us back our country. That was was an English guy telling a a very obviously coded foreign man, give me back my country. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) Uh, no, interesting. It was just a different different way of looking at it. It was like, uh, it, it's one thing to say, give me back our country, but then once people have got roots and put down stuff, it's a really strange, in the same way that it's strange for people in Britain to go to, say, British Indians or Nigerian uh, British mm, people, or, yes, you know, yes. all that sort of stuff. It's weird to go, hey, go out of our, you know, give us back our country. It's like, well, I live here. I was born here. My parents were born here generations have been here now so yeah. go away <laughs> it's that <laughs> yeah so that was your list that was my list that, that was okay. that was uh, what i got out of this weird so, strange film i took a lot of notes while watching this one so i'm just going to go through my notes if that's okay to see sure. if anything else springs to mind uh, about the the movie um i definitely thought this was a slightly cheaper filmed version because i did actually know i'm very bad at noticing continuity errors or or weird things with the sets, but I noticed a very, very obvious bouncing set at one point. Um, oh, really? Early, early on when Robin and, and Will are sort of escaping the castle for the first time, they're sort of fighting their way up the stairs and they kind of knock into a wall and you see the wall like bounce. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's, like it's that's made great. A, like it's a cardboard set. And another point later on, I saw somebody um, carrying a sword that was clearly a rubber sword because it was like bent. So obviously <laughs> they were running and the sword was you know, uh, the sword was in their holster, but it was like at a right angle almost. So it was clearly yeah. like a rubber rubber sword. So I was like, oh, that's cute. It was filmed on more of a budget. <laughs> it, it definitely feels like more of a low rent production than, than yes. uh, Prince of Thieves. It didn't have Kevin Costner money. No. 
Uh, oh, at one point when John and no, sorry, at one point when Will and Robin are walking through the forest after being cast out of, um, <laughs> uh, they fall off their horses and the horses run away back to the castle and they're just sitting there like, uh oh, what now? Like a cartoon. And they start walking and they start singing an actual medieval song, the Sume is a Kumanin, Lud Sink. Oh, that's right, yeah. It's a, it's a genuine Middle English song, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like the first. I think it's the first recorded song or poem from Middle English that um, sort of exists. Yeah, the earliest was, one they can find. Yeah, that was a nice touch. Um, I really enjoyed actually the fight with Little John. It was a really good waterfall that they had them on, and he fell down. Like mm. um, it, it was it was well staged. Little John recites bawdy poetry while he fights, oh, and he kept calling him short ass. That was really interesting. It was like, yeah, short <laughs> Um, It was interesting in the water f- uh, when Robin goes into the water, he's the one who can't swim because in Prince of Thieves, when Robin knocks little John into the water, little John is like, I can't swim. I can't oh, swim. Oh, yeah. God, that's so weird. These weird little mirror yeah. image of, of that's, the, that's what I mean. movies. Um, and then there's the, when he's going down the, the water slide going, help, help. Like it's quite a long scene and it kind of felt like he's on a water park ride, like a yeah. balloon. <laughs> oh, for some reason they introduce a pair of characters called Jack and Charlie Runnell. They're the bad boys. But then they never really do anything with that. <laughs> They're sort of introduced and you think, oh, this might be something. No, no, it's not. At one point, <laughs> at one point they give Harry the bird. Like they literally give him the finger. I don't know why I wrote that in. But, yeah, like I'm, I'm always interested because I it was when he was doing the arrow and he, he, he shot the arrow first because he's like the best arrowman mm. shot the best shot and then robin splits the 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 post and then he says, oh, i'll give you the finger and he gives him the finger now i would have thought the double finger like the forks you know that's an old yeah that, that's that's very english the bowman's thing but yeah like the actual finger i'm always intrigued like when did the finger as a gesture become a thing like when did the bird become the bird as it were the bird is the word uh this is where i have <laughs> written down john really looks like a young david morrissey (laughs) (laughs) oh there's a moment where they play a trick on someone and robin does a coin and he does the old heads i win tail john loses yeah and they decided to i was like oh that's interesting that's not a little little trick (laughs) oh yes so when they go and this is what i mean about robin's just the leader when when they say oh we're going to go out and attack someone who's richer and they actually get miles falconet so they go straight from, you know, we're a band of things to an elaborate sort of sting. And this is why I like Prince of Thieves because you actually start to see the montage and the training and the development of their, you know, their sneaky system of thieving, which you, you don't see. And you see a bit of that in Errol Flynn as well, but you don't see it here. It's just kind of is there. It's not really built up. Yeah. They do send Miles and all of his chaps home in their underwear, which I thought was an interesting, like they stripped them <laughs> and they sent them home in their underwear, but they sent them home on their horses. Like why not keep the horses and make them walk? Anyway, who knows? Uh, at one point they talk about lashings. They're going to give someone a lashing and you'll get a lashing. I can't remember who was talking about this, but it was like, are they still talking about lashings? Cause it's very sexual. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that, that, that's that's Robin and Marion have that chat, don't they? Oh yes, when they're on the horses, yes, and they're talking about yeah. I'll have to give you a lashing and you might get a lashing, and it's like, guys, get a room. Uh okay, so Daguerre, right? I had this feeling, I was like, who does Daguerre remind me of? The way that they portrayed Daguerre, I wonder if he was an inspiration for the way that they portray Prince John in um, Men in Tights, the Mel Brooks parody. Do you remember Mel, and we'll get to this, we'll, we'll do Men in Tights in a few weeks' time, but do you remember how they have Prince John and he's this sort of strange character 
Yes. Something about Daguerre reminds me of, because Prince John in Men in Tights is not a piss take from Prince of Thieves. A lot no, of no. Men in Tights yeah. is, is ripped from Prince of Thieves, which makes sense, but there are bits that aren't. And I think this might be a bit that they've sort of taken from from that. Yeah, maybe actually. That, that makes a lot of sense now that you mention it. Yeah. There's a lot of fat shaming of Friar Tuck, which I felt was unfair. <laughs> I don't know why Friar Tuck is always, he's always portrayed as fat. He's, I don't know if that's like canonical in the books, but he's, although I think in the um, the most recent one with Tim Minchin is Friar Tuck and uh, he's very much not fat. So that'll be really interesting to get to. Hmm. Um, but Friar Tuck is kind of, cool in this he's like super mad he like recites poetry as he fights and in the final scene when he's leading the fools into the you know he's sort of one of the key merry men and he leads all the fools into the castle and yeah like, and he's got a mask on going i am the fool we're here to spread joy and right wrongs and yeah he's kind of deranged oh there's some nice arrow uh taking i called it you know when people they do the arrow shots where people get uh, speared by arrows yeah, and they, they have get to an arrow, move they like, get an arrow to the chest <laughs> and fall backwards so there's some good stunt work there marion is very spunky towards miles oh yeah that's right it's like you're the torturer i can't remember what it's said, but she's spunky the die scene is fire yes i wrote that there they hold up a church and robin is like kneeling in front of the pastor going ah oh, we need to take a donation it's it's again it's sort of just there it's not really explained they don't really do it for a reason i don't know yeah like that doesn't tie into anything Really? Um, they kept referring to the Hucknall Road and all I could think about was like, ah, I want to fall from the stars straight into your... Okay, that joke didn't work. I, um, I, I'm, I'm, you're doing a Simply Red reference. Yeah, Mick, I Mick, Mick Hucknall. Uh, it's a, it's oh, a deep, I see. Right, it's a deep pool, the, the Hucknall Road. Um, yeah, anyway. Oh, yes. So Prince John arrives, right? And he, he's saying that uh, the, the word is that um, Marion is with this outlaw. And Miles is like, I cannot believe it. I can't believe she would go with them. And it's like, <laughs> dude, she literally told you to your face that she hated you, that you were a torturer and she would never marry you and you suck. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe a nice girl like her would go with Robin Hood. What did, uh, anyway. Yeah, well, what about this can you not believe? <laughs> I did an age check. Uma Thurman was about 1920 when she made this. Patrick Bergen was about 20 years older. So that's Hollywood for you. Uh, yes. um, I just realized there is no sheriff. I feel like I must have realized that earlier in the movie than this point. I, I mean, Daguerre is basically the sheriff. Yes, but I just realized there's no named, you know, sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, yep. Then we have the fools turning up. And that was really... Everyone's in makeup and costumes. They really pull that look together very quickly. And they're mm, like, oh, it's the, yes. they, they are fools. Let's all go dressed as fools. They really worked hard to get some costumes happening. And, and then everyone has like very elaborate fool costume. Yeah, super elaborate leaves stuck on the face, makeup, you know, hair, stilts, everything. Some very good papier-mâché heads, animal heads, <laughs> yes. and things like that. And everyone's like fighting and it's all mud, you know, and and – Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is muddy and stuff as well, but I felt like this one really was, okay, guys, it's rained again overnight. We're just going to use it. So everyone just get prepared to just roll in the mud, um, <laughs> like piles of bodies at one point. And then Friar Tuck kills a dude, like one of the head guards. He kills a dude and he's like, no, but you have to, I have to get my forgiveness before I die. And so Friar Tuck like, I'm, he's blessing this guy. Your sins are forgiven. As he like turns his head around and breaks his neck. Yeah, super, super weird. <laughs> So Friar Tuck is dark, man. He is dark. <laughs> oh, and, and Miles Falconet dies 
interestingly, again, in a slightly similar way, because Robin comes in to fight to stop the wedding of, of Marion to someone else and fight this bad guy, similar to Prince of Thieves, where Robin Hood comes in to save Marion from having to, to fight the Sheriff of Nottingham and um, Alan Rickman, obviously. And then he also dies in a similar way. So it's it's Robin has kind of gone down. The bad guy is standing over him. He finds another sword, shoves it through his heart. Um, yeah. That happens in a similar way in both movies, slightly similar, except yeah. I will note that in this one they have spunky Uma Thurman fight as well. Like, you know, she picks up a sword, cuts a few guys down, then throws it to Robin, and then he cuts a few guys down. So they sort of work together a bit more in this one, whereas – in the other one, it's just mano a mano because Marion is literally in a state of, you know, undress and you know, <laughs> she's not yes. in a position to be fighting. So he gets stabbed in the heart, similar to how Kevin Costner stabs Alan Rickman. What is not similar is how Miles Falconet then just kind of goes, ah, and starts screaming and grabs the rope, which belongs to the big bell. And so he's like dangling, like hanging off this rope and sort of writhing in agony and dying. And the bell's going, yeah, it's a very interesting change. Yes. What a a strange thing. There's so many choices like that throughout this movie where you're just like, huh, you were going for something there. Yeah. It didn't work, but you were going for something. They were were going for like super dramatic, this super dramatic moment of wah, and then tolling the bells, which just comes across as weird. And then he sort of falls forward again to the stairway only to be confronted by Friar Tuck and a whole bunch of these, you know, people clad as demonic animals and stuff. And they're all kind of painted in red faces and he looks down the stairs at this group of, of fools and then Friar Tuck just looks up at him and says, welcome to hell. Yes. And he falls forward and dies on the ground. Oh. It's very, very interesting. Uh, and then, yeah, all the, the stuff about them getting married and the weird trancy bit and um, bees in my breast and, um, yeah, and uh, Daguerre pledging his loyalty to Robin. It's It's a really strange like it's an interesting film it's a strange film it does not beat prince of thieves i mean no spoilers but of the year of two robin hoods i think there is a very clear winner there's an extremely clear winner there there's one that is stuck in the public imagination and there's another one that i'm sure like people will just immediately disappear from the from the public consciousness well what happened is this film though was executive produced by if you can believe it john mctiernan yeah who directed predator Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, Last Action Hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, The Thomas Crown Affair, and his last completed feature film was called Basic, released in 2003. Then he went to prison for a while. I was reading his Wikipedia. He did something tax-related or something and um, making false statements to the uh, FBI and then went to jail in 2013. (laughs) So the guy who directed Die Hard ended up in jail, which is interesting. But this is one of the films. He didn't direct this one, but he executive produced it. So, I mean, that's interesting because he's he's American. So he obviously thought this film was in with a good, you know, a good chance at mm. at something. I'd love to know more about how this film. I couldn't find anything about how this film came to be happening at the same time as the more famous Hollywood version with Kevin Costner. I'd love I'd love a bit of an oral history of of how that came to be. All all that these the internet seems to talk about is how they rushed this one out and they ended up putting it out on Fox um, TV. So it was a cable movie, basically. It never had a theatrical release in America. I think it was released because it was made in Britain, so I think it was released in Britain. But it wasn't released in the cinemas in America because of the Kevin Costner one and they wanted to kind of get it out beforehand. Yeah. I guess they were trying to make their money back 
before the, 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 you know, big blockbuster of Robin Hood started to roll over them, the all-conquering Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Um, so well, that's yeah. right. And, and I, I did find during some reading, I, I came across um, an article in a, a website called um, filmstories.co.uk oh, yeah. um, that they did mention that a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that was happening, like the, the crew, the special effects people, the stunt people, they were actually like shuttling back and forth between the two productions. You're kidding me. Yeah. So apparently a lot of the special effects guys were like doing work for Robin Hood. And then later in the week, they, they'd travel to the other side of the country and do some work on Prince of Thieves. Wow. And then back again. Oh, um, wow. They were all sort of working on the, you know, they, they, they'd spend some time on this movie and then they'd go over here and work on another one. It was, it was, it's bizarre. I wonder, oh gosh, it would be interesting. I mean, they're not going to know huge amounts because they're going to come in as contractors, do a stunt, leave. You know, I, I get that. Yeah. But- I wonder if you, you know, you would have seen the difference in budgets. You would have seen the difference in, you know, the catering and how many people are on set and all that sort of stuff. That's really, that's really interesting. Well, actually, they they say that um, uh, D- David Morrissey was interviewed and said um, the, the the stunt guys they'd be with us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then they'd go work for Costner on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Wow. They'd come back and gossip or just tell us their breakfast is really good and yours is rubbish. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, this is what I wanted to know. This is the gossip I wanted to know. Um, so, like, yeah, there was cross-pollination between – because they were both filming in, in England at the same time. So, like, they they there was cross-pollination even behind the scenes. It's bizarre. Yeah. Oh, amazing. That is really amazing. What a time. Like, what, what a, a time, time to be alive. To be running two – I mean, obviously, what have we talked about before? The year of two bonds uh, with the two different um, – you know, with obviously the Eon Bond with Roger Moore in Octopussy yes. and then the Never Say Never Again. Uh, what else has happened where there's been sort of two similar? Uh, there was the Prestige and the Illum- Illusionists. Oh, there's lots. I, I mean, there, there was um, uh, the two, there was Armageddon and Deep Impact is the famous oh, one. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. And then weren't there some like Contagion movies or something, something about plays? Yeah, there was Julian Contagion movies. There was, um, uh, what was it? It was it was Dante's Peak and there was a volcano <gasps> yes, movie. There was two volcano right. movies at the same time. Yes, it was one just called Volcano and one called Yes, Dante's that's right, yeah. <laughs> was it Volcano or was it Dante's well, there, there Peak? Was, there was Dante's Peak and there was another one. Yeah. I forget the other one, but but yeah. I, feel, I want to say that it was just called Volcano, but maybe it was called Pompeii. No, no. That wasn't one. Although that that is a volcano movie. I mean, it, it was, but that's that's John Snow with his abs out. Woo! Yeah, volcano, nineteen ninety seven. Oh, okay. There was one just called volcano. Yeah, I, that, I, that's I was like, I'm that's sure fun. It was volcano. It's hotter than hell. Volcano. A volcano erupts in downtown Los Angeles, and a city official and seismologist try to stop its inevitable flow through the city. So, what's Dante's Peak then? Dante's Peak is Pierce Brosnan, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no. Is it Pierce Brosnan or is it... um... Pierce Brosnan. It's definitely Pierce Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan. Okay, yeah. Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton. A volcanologist arrives in a countryside town recently named the second most desirable place to live in America and discovers that the long dormant volcano Dante's Peak may wake up at any moment. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it happens a lot. Lucky that he happened to be a volcanologist. Sure. <laughs> that was a stroke of good luck. Stroke that was, of luck. That, that came out the same year as um, Tomorrow Never Dies then, 97. So that's Pierce Brosnan in peak Bond time. That's a, that's a big that's a big year for Pierce. Pierce big year for Pierce. 
Yeah, okay. And it, yeah, it's, it is funny when these Hollywood does sort of green lights a few things at the same time. I'm sure that there would be film experts out there who know more than us about these things and why it tends to happen in that way. I've, I've certainly read that, like, you know, other, other than stuff just being out there in the zeitgeist, there, there, there is, you know, you, you get rumours of, okay, this studio's working on a volcano movie. We have to have a volcano movie. Yeah. You know, there is a bit of that. Um, but the fact that like these two concurrent Robin Hood productions were happening at the exact same time, it does seem bizarre. Yeah. I suppose you could say, well, a volcano movie can't be that broad, but yeah, it feels like a Robin Hood movie is very specific. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, well, Stu, as we come to the ranking of this film, um, what are you thinking about where you might put it? I've, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with where I've put it in my list, so I've I've put it. It's not going near the top, Natalie. Just to, <laughs> just to spoil. But uh, I was like, is it better or worse than Robin and Marion? Because that that's dead center. Well, actually, it's it's it's. So we've we've got four four films. Yep, this is um, the fifth. The Errol Flynn Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood, Robin and Marion, and then the 1950s, the story of Robin Hood. Yeah, and I'm slightly different in that I have. Uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, and then Robin and Marion, and then the Robin Hood animated. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so for me, it's sort of, it's sort of, it's in the last two, and I, I'm like, oh, I, we talked about it last time. Like, I didn't, I, I really, I really liked Robin and Marion. It was just a, it felt like a confused film in many ways, but it's, it's absolutely carried by the quality of the performance. The, the, the actors and the performances in that film are out of this world. It's incredible. So, there's no way I'm going to put this movie ahead of that and yet i'm like i'm not gonna put i'm not gonna put it below the 1950s robin hood which is a deeply uninteresting slog (laughs) um so i'm like well that's where it's going it's going second last it's going between robin and marion and the story of robin hood well this is really interesting because i'm i'm in a very similar position i am trying to work out if i think it's better or worse than the animated uh, Robin Hood. I, I, I don't think it's as good as Robin and Marion. So it's either third or fourth in my list. So to me, it's about whether it's better than the animated. And it's really tough because I think uh, having had Tom Solinsky point out a lot of the flaws of the animated, I, I think it's probably a slightly more cohesive film. But I think if I had to pick, and I always come back to personal preference, it's, you know, it would, it, I would probably watch the animated film more than I would watch this one. Well, and also the, the animated film has cemented itself in the popular culture in a way that this this movie doesn't exist for many people. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So I think for me it goes second last as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, behind with the, the, the key swap uh, above it. So I'm Errol Flynn, Robin and Marion, Robin Hood animated, and then this one, and then the story of Robin Hood. The story of Robin Hood, as you say, it's just... It's just not interesting. It's not that it's even bad. It's just mm. so dull that I've kind of almost forgotten about it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know? Whereas I think I will remember this one a little bit more. So it'll be interesting to see because, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to spoil too much, Stu, but we have a certain movie coming up next <laughs> that is, you know, it's a bit of a fave. But after that... It could be the entire reason we're doing this, this series. <laughs> it might be. Just maybe. But after that, we have, you know, the Russell Crowe one and the most recent one um, with Taron Egerton. And I've seen the Russell Crowe one, but not for a long time. And I haven't seen the Taron Egerton. So that'll be really interesting to see where they go. Yeah. And then the only other thing is, do we want to add in anything else, any other Robin Hood movie that, uh, like, do we want to do Princess of Thieves starring Keira Knightley? I, what? I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I don't know if we could find it, but yes, Kira Knightley was in a film called Princess of Thieves. 
Oh my and God. she plays Robin of Locksley's daughter. It's a 2001 costume drama, romantic adventure. Well, it's a TV movie. Okay, there you go. So who else is in it? Malcolm McDowell is the sheriff. I mean, that's pretty interesting. Good old sure. um, Clockwork Orange dude. Oh, Stephen Moyer is in it. There you go. He's Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah, because he's uh, English. He's the dude from... True Blood. That's the one. So, yes, it's about... Robin's daughter, Gwyn, has grown up to be a strong-willed young woman. Gee, I'm, wow, I'm surprised. With a talent for archery. Oh, my God, I'm really surprised. <laughs> uh, well, 2001, that was, that was like the height of uh, women archers on film. Was it? Well, just, I mean, you, you had the, the Hunger Games sort of coming. Oh, no, that was a bit oh, later, was, wasn't it? That was 10 years later, Stuart. Yeah, that was 10 years later. Yeah. Maybe maybe this started the trend. Who knows? Well, I mean, Kira Knightley was subsequently in that King Arthur movie as Guinevere, and the, the whole thing about that was they made Guinevere a warrior woman. Yeah, and she was an archer in that too. Maybe yes, that was yes. the. So it's it's peak Kira Knightley being an archer on film. Yeah, that's true. I think is, is what you meant those two. I think that's what you mean. Okay, so we've we've ranked Robin Hood, Patrick Bergen, in fourth place. Both of us out of five. Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that that feels about right. That feels about right, and it'll be interesting to see where we go next. So we have three definite films that we're still doing. No, sorry, we've got well, many, and and many tights. So then we'll have. Prince of Thieves, Men in Tights, Russell Crowe, 2009 or 8, I think that is, and then 2018, the Taron Egerton, Jamie Foxx one. Yeah. So we've definitely got at least four more films to go. So it's an interesting stage to be at. (laughs) We're sort of midway through. Yeah. uh, Here in the 1991 year and we will be... Midway through the Sherwood Forest. So if you have any questions or comments, please do call in. I am at Girl Clumsy on Twitter. Stu is at Disco Stu. He doesn't need to advertise because I do it for him. Uh, thank you once again to everybody who supports uh, the podcast and me via Patreon, patreon.com slash girlclumsy. Gosh, if I could tell you, I did write to my patrons. For those of you who know that I do shows, I had a show on in the Brisbane Comedy Festival, uh, Speed the Movie, the Play Our Bus show. We got rained out <laughs> for... How many shows did I have to cancel? Ten. Like a week's worth, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a week and a day. So five days worth of shows. So yeah, ten shows I had to cancel, Stu. It is. It's not great. uh, It's like getting a stab through the heart when you're Miles Falconer. It's that's the level of (laughs) pain. And then thrashing about, grabbing a rope that looks onto a hooks onto a bell, and going ah. That's how I felt when I had to cancel so many shows, and not not just like. Like shows that had sold out. Yeah. Shows that, shows Sh- that, shows that had, were going to be a big success. Shows that were going to bring in money. And then all of a sudden you have no money. There's just nothing there because you have to refund because it's not the patron's fault that they're ranged. Like, so you have to refund and, and it's just, oh, it's awful. But anyway, so I do want to thank my Patreons for being just super supportive uh, and, and having my back through all of that stuff because it is honestly... Yeah, that's. I have a company that pays me what it can. You know, the rest of the money goes into the company, goes into putting on shows and that sort of thing. So that's that's sort of how the business works. It's not like I get a show and make huge amounts of money. I don't. I pay my actors. I, mm. you know, I try to be as ethical as I can and so uh, make sure that everyone gets paid. And often that means that I don't get paid that much. Um, so yeah, I, I don't need to probably tell people this, but I I just want to say that. The people on Patreon are amazing and thank you so much. Um, I think of you often. So until next time when we take on the mighty 
Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, yes. Ah, I'm a little bit excited. We're actually getting together just to, as a spoiler, Stu and I are getting together in person to watch the film and podcast. And it's going to be a thing. I'm really excited. We're going to have snacks. Uh, I'm going to probably say all the lines as they're being said on the screen. <laughs> so I hope you don't find that annoying because I'm going to be doing that. Uh, I'm right there with you. I'm going to be singing along to the music and uh, it's going to be uh, so until then, we will say, see you in Sherwood Forest. Sherwood Forest. Forest. Ah, ah, <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Welcome to hell. <laughs> <laughs>